Donnie, we back. We back. Yeah, Hashtag we back. Hashtag we back. Too bad there's no audience to applaud us today. Oh. There they are. What do you mean? Ah, there they are. You know, what's funny is the first note on our note here says uh, Dunny and Nice doing, saying Dunny and Nice things. So we should probably do some uh, some uh, B-roll, huh? <laughs> Who's better at B-roll than Cody Be Nice and Dunny Daniel? Ah, oh, man, just B-rolling it up. So what do we got? Halloween. Uh, Halloween? Halloween was good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you a costume guy? Well, by choice. <laughs> I wore a costume. Yes. This, then this makes it all the better. So you're a costume guy, not yeah. by choice. Yeah. And I happen to know what was the costume this year? Oh, man. So, yeah, I was Prince Charming. Legit wearing the jacket, the sash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be the womp, 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 womp. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> man, I just felt like a yuppie. Let me tell you. <laughs> like just yupping it up on Halloween. It was really hard for me to wear that big old jacket and sash and just feel regal. Princely. Princely. Yeah. Regal. You know, it's it's great that... Uh, so, uh, Mrs. Be Nice picked yeah. it out? Yeah. Well, sort of. We kind of defaulted to it this year, but she was Snow White. Yeah. So, yeah. she was Snow White. Yeah. And she, yeah, got you the Prince Charming one. So, it was like mm-hmm. kind of a default one, but she, she had you wear a Prince Charming costume? Uh, like, uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Because in my mind, what I think about is some of the stories you've shared on this podcast, in addition to other stories, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, tamales as a gift. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Uh, an oven. <laughs> <laughs> an oven pizza. An oven pizza as a gift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe other fast foods <laughs> as a gift. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think she still has you dress up as Prince Charming. Oh, man, that's a good point. For me, yeah. it inspires a lot of hope. Everyone has a chance. Everyone has a chance. You can be Prince Charming and get your wife some terrible gifts for her birthday. Hashtag. Repeatedly. Hashtag yeah. everyone has a chance. Everyone has a chance. Come on. Well, that's good, man. So happy Halloween to you. I know that was like a week ago, but. Yeah. Happy Hallows. So what do we got today? Well, so we're going to be talking about chatting it up on that imposter syndrome experience, right? Yeah, no doubt. I don't know for you. This is something I I feel like I hear a lot, though, Mm -hmm. Um, like in counseling sessions. Oh, for sure. I actually hear about it in counseling sessions Mm -hmm. and then uh, not maybe not always with that term specifically, but with the phenomenon and the concept. Yeah. And then, uh, man, colloquially hear it all the time. All the time. Like references to it. Yeah, for sure. So I, I thought this was something that I feel like we'll see on social media a lot. Somebody here in counseling sessions, probably something might feel a little bit my own life when we go through uh, professional worlds and uh, intellectual domains and that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's like, oh, this might be a fun topic to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. You ever you ever go through the world feeling like a fraud, Danny? All, all the time. All the time? Uh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sixing it up over there? Yeah. When you when you were talking about throwing around the idea of doing this one, I thought about uh, when I started my master's degree. Yeah. So I went to a private liberal arts school, Westminster, in the heart of Salt Lake, and uh, really kind of hoity-toity mm-hmm. type of school altogether, and then a pretty difficult program. Yeah. Um, and so I remember those first few weeks, like, being on campus and, like, feeling super out of place both culturally and academically like sure. both fronts just walk around being like i do not belong <laughs> what here. am i doing here? <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it was a pretty persistent thought through that first semester. Actually, probably through the majority of that program. Yeah. Yeah. Like going through the thesis process, like mm. definitely fell out of my depth. I remember submitting a first draft. Yeah. And the person being like, uh, these tables and graphs have to be formatted by APA formatting standards. And I just like created like wor- word tables. Yeah. Just threw it in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just oh, that's threw awesome. it in there. Yeah. yeah. Not, not according to any of the specifications. I had no idea about like APA formatting for tables. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Man, so what, what did that produce? Is that like a feeling of like, I shouldn't be here? Is that like, uh, yeah, like I, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm out of my depth. How am I going to like be able to fool these people Yeah, into staying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What am I going to do when I can't uh, get a living and support myself for the rest of my life because these people are going to find me out? Yeah, <laughs> going to get found out. I do want to devote a whole episode sometime to your oppositional um, <laughs> adventures. <laughs> But something that for me, the way I hear you talking is it's like, um, I would look at your life now and say, it seems like you've been able to be very successful despite those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. If that's your opinion for me, it's just trying every day (laughs) to put on that facade. And the thing I'd wonder too, is did that make you work harder? Um, I, so (laughs) yeah. Wow. Is this a (laughs) therapy session? We're in therapy. So, uh, um, for me, the, the point at which where I realized I needed to turn things around a bit, or at least direct that energy to learn things that I wanted to learn in a direction that would actually help me out in life. Certainly at that point I realized, well, now I got to double down cause I kind of, yeah, like I didn't start college until I was 23. Right. And so at that point, um, yeah, there's kind of like a, an urgency to, making sure that you're going to be able to support yourself in life. Yeah. yeah so you had to double down, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So for me, right. When I think of this idea of imposter syndrome is the, it's this, uh, idea of feelings of fraudulence and that sort of thing. And the one thing it'll do is that it can really motivate to over prepare or to work hard yeah. to achieve. Yeah. We'll get a little more into that though. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, d- jump in. So like, uh, this whole phenomenon or this idea of the imposter syndrome, when did it, when did it start? Yeah, so this was something that started in the late 70s. Um, uh, after a journal article that was written by a couple women, one was named Dr. Pauline Rose Clance, and then the other one was named Dr. Suzanne Imes. They're with Georgia State University. Shout out Dr. Clance and Dr. Imes. Dr. Imes, yeah. And uh, what's Georgia State University's mascot? Georgia State? Yeah. I don't know. Go maybe like a little bulldog? Yeah, go little bull. <laughs> hashtag go little bulldogs. <laughs> The little bulldogs go. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, so these two professors, right, they had done a study with 150 highly, or they were doing psychotherapy with 150 highly successful women. Yeah. And something that they noticed that there was this consistent feeling of not being good enough or bright enough despite their success. Mm -hmm. Um, Even I'd like to read the first paragraph from their article. Just says in the fir- in the past five years we have worked in individual psychotherapy, theme centered international groups, and college classes with over 150 successful women, women who have earned PhDs in various specialties, who are respected professionals in their fields, or who are students recognized for their academic excellence. However, despite their earned degrees, scholastic honors, high achievement on standardized tests, praise, and professional recognition from colleagues and respected authorities. 
These women do not experience on an internal sense of success. They consider themselves to be imposters. Women who experience the imposter phenomenon maintain a strong belief that they are not intelligent. In fact, they are convinced that they have fooled anyone who thinks otherwise. Yeah. So like these, these people that um, have all these representations of both status and achievement, like a degree or the quality of program that they've gotten into as students. And uh, these, these two therapists essentially said like, this is weird. It doesn't line up because when they come in and share their vulnerabilities, Mm -hmm. if I were to look at them on paper, they're much more highly successful than what they look like. Yeah. What they sound like. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly like what they're producing out in the world, you'd say rate that as being highly successful yet internally, there's like this really strong feeling of being a fraud. Yeah. So they're kind of led to this underlying question that they asked is essentially was why do so many bright women, despite consistent and impressive evidence to the contrary, continue to see themselves as imposters who pretend to be bright, but who really are not. What are the origins and dynamics of such a belief and what functions could be served by holding on to such a belief? So that's kind of the underlying question that they were looking at. Yeah. It's that same idea you're asking, right? Like, yeah, this just doesn't match up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the objective observer, this looks very successful, yet there's this really strong sense or these feelings of feeling like a fraud or like they don't belong. Yeah, so essentially then they end up being like, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so about seven years later, I think it was in the mid-80s, they put out a book called The Imposter Phenomenon, Overcoming the Fear That Haunts Your Success. And then since then, there have been thousands of internet articles written on imposter syndrome. However, that I mean, there's only 284 peer-reviewed studies. So we're not really talking about a huge, you know, like a really wide library of literature on it. Yeah, scientifically, right? Scientifically, like, yeah. So uh, peer-reviewed studies. And, and didn't you say that out of those 284, only half were published? Yeah. It's so like 140 published peer-reviewed studies on the phenomenon of imposter syndrome since the 1970s, yeah. which the number 140 sounds like a lot, but that's like very small. Right. Yeah. To put that in context, something like mindfulness, when I was looking it up, has had roughly 17,000 publications yeah. in a similar time frame. Whoa. Yeah. So you're talking about something that's getting attention, getting attention from like an yeah. internet standpoint, but not yeah. something that's getting a lot of scientific Well, attention. so that's, that's the other side of it is colloquially, it's like a term I hear often in, in my personal life from people just, uh, yeah, throwing around their experiences and then that gets tossed in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like again, like locally, just in the general population, it gets used a lot. I was looking up on Instagram and, uh, the hashtag imposter syndrome has 197,000 posts <laughs> and then the hashtag imposter syndrome on TikTok. It brings up all those videos and it has 60.3 million views. 60.3 million? Million. Yeah. Views. Views, yeah. So this is like something that kind of, again, out in the general population, colloquially, gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. And the way TikTok works, right, is the algorithm is built around videos that you watch. It'll give you more of that or content like that, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, if there's millions of views, that means the algorithm is pumping those videos towards people. It's kicking it out there, yeah. yeah. It seems like there's something out there that people are really identifying with this idea. Yeah. So then what's, what's like, uh, if it's this word that's used and this phenomenon that occurs, what's a good definition? How can we define this operationally for us going forward? Yeah, for sure. So Dr. Dr. Glantz, right? She says that imposter syndrome is the experience of intellectual fraudulence despite measured success, manifesting in denial of one's competencies, fear of failure, 
perfectionism, and difficulty owning and enjoying success. Okay. That's straight from her book. Some other terms that get used are also imposter phenomena, imposterism, and fraud syndrome. All right. Imposterism. <laughs> yeah. I like fraud syndrome. I like fraud syndrome yeah. too. Yeah. Sounds like, uh, sounds like some serious illness. Yeah. Oh man, that's some, that's a deep case of fraud syndrome. Yeah. Oh, you've got the fraud <laughs> syndrome bad. Got the fraud syndromes. Yeah. And another, another definition that would also speak to what is imposter syndrome is it's a psychological pattern rooted in intense concealed feelings of fraudulence when faced with achievement tasks. Yeah, exactly. When we throw all these definitions into a pot and kind of bring them to a boil, there's these three things, these three core factors that really rise to the top. Okay. And then this comes from another article that was written in the mid eighties, <clears throat> the same year that the book was published. And, uh, these three core factors, the first one is the belief that he, she, they have fooled other people. Okay. The second core factor is the fear of being exposed as an imposter. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> They're going to find me out. And then the third core factor is the inability to attribute own achievement to internal qualities such as ability, intelligence, or skills. All right. Yeah. So those are the three core facets. So if those things, if you're self-checking right now and you feel that way about aspects of your life, those three core characteristics, yep. you may have a bad case of the fraud syndrome. Well, it might, might be something worth looking at, huh? So you had mentioned in, in Clance's work, she talked about the imposter cycle the imposter syndrome cycle what what's the cycle yeah so this is really to me this kind of outlines how it works right it all starts with the person being presented with a new task Mm -hmm. and then with that new task comes this sense of or this growing sense of anxiety Mm self-doubt worry Mm -hmm. and then in response to that are two 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 approaches okay so there's like two directions so the person feels anxious about this new novel task yeah and they can go two directions yep one of those will be procrastinate <laughs> so the old avoidance avoidance kick the can down the road yeah and then the other one was what we were talking about a second ago is to really overwork yeah like just really put in tons and tons and tons of effort yeah in a disproportional way yeah. so then the person experiences some sort of accomplishment which initially produces a feeling of relief and then positive feedback comes in yeah And then once that positive feedback comes in, they start discounting that positive feedback, (laughs) right? It's kind of like, yeah, attributing it to luck or attributing it to whatever it might be. And then once the person begins discounting that positive feedback, this growing sense of fraudulence and self-doubt begins to increase. Yeah. And then rinse and repeat. (laughs) This sounds like a great cycle. Yeah. Um, So so you you listed after they go one of two directions, either the procrastination or the over preparation. Yeah. Then there's the sense of achievement or Mm -hmm. the accomplishment, not a sense of achievement, but they actually accomplish the thing. And that's because even if they procrastinate, they end up doing the thing and usually doing it well by pressure of the procrastination or the over preparation. They're just yeah, gonna knock it out of the park. Yeah, exactly. And so neither of in either of those situations, the person doesn't attribute it to their own quality. Mm-hmm. So they would say, "Well, I, I was able to accomplish that thing because mm-hmm. I worked so hard." Mm-hmm. And for someone like me, I have to work harder than everyone else. Ah. So then, uh, yeah, maybe give even more examples than that. Like, what would be representations of like the 
avoidance style, the procrastination style, mm-hmm. or evidence of the over preparation style. Yeah, that prep style. Another, you know, be like, man, well, I had to learn that special technique to get that done because I wouldn't have been able to do that by myself. Okay. No one else really has to do that thing. Yeah. I have to do that thing. I always have to go above and beyond. Yeah. Or even just as simple as like nobody else has to work this hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have to put in those extra effort or okay. those extra hours. So those are examples of the over prep style mm-hmm. or further examples of them. What are further examples of like the procrastination style? Yeah. That procrastination style is one I kind of mentioned earlier, right? Is like that idea of I got lucky. There's no way I could have done that on my own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just at the right place at the right time. It's nothing I did. Yeah. 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 Um, or another example might be something like for me, I would have had to get lucky. Otherwise there's no way I could have gotten that done. Yeah. 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 So with the procrastination style, again, it's kind of like the person, the, uh, the person attributes their achievement or the thing that they accomplished to luck. I just got lucky. And then with the overworking, they attribute their accomplishment to the fact that they have to work so hard. Yeah. Again, relative to others and how they yeah. perceive that. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> okay. Man, this is making me squirm a little bit. Yeah, I see it over there, man. You do doing you, all right? Do you for real? <laughs> no, you look very comfortable. Yeah, good. That's <laughs> uh, that's what I'm trying to put on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, does it bring up like, do you relate to it? Do you ever go through this cycle? Oh, man. Well, you know how you're kind of referring to earlier is like intellectual domains, particularly yeah. in school. I was never great at school. It yeah. was never my thing. Um, and so whenever I went to, especially like, it was like a jump. If I went mm-hmm. from high school to college or college to post or to yeah. grad and then grad to post-grad, Anytime I made one of those transitions, it was like super self-doubt. Yeah, yeah. What am I doing here? That yeah. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So during a period of change, this this resonates. For sure. And okay. for me, it was always like defaulting to that overworking style. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to have to put in all these hours and I'm going to have to... Double down. Yeah, no one else has to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Okay. So are, are there different types? So you talked about two paths people mm-hmm. can go. Are there, are there typical types or subtypes that come out of this imposter syndrome? Yeah. There's like, um, five different types of, of imposterism, I guess. Okay. Right. So we've got all these characteristics. There's these three core factors and then there's these types that we could kind of label. Mm-hmm. First one would be the perfectionist. And so that'd be the person who's never satisfied with their work and then really tend to fixate on flaws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I always think of artists, man. (laughs) Oh, for sure. That's actually first what came to mind is um, having worked with a few artists and they will come in and tell me about every flaw in something that you look at and you're like, wow. I would never have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) this is an amazing piece of art. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Totally. So that would be one type, like the perfectionist. Yeah. Really fixated on flaws. Um, next one would be the superhero. This would be a, the type of person who might feel inadequate and then push themselves to work as hard as possible. Mm-hmm. So what I was describing earlier would probably fit in that superhero. Yeah. Okay. Uh, category. The next one is the expert. Yeah. So I'm uh, speaking to all the Enneagram fives out there. Huh? <laughs> yeah. This one, it's a little too close to home. I don't like this. This is making me squirm. <laughs> I do see you squirming now. <laughs> Yeah, so for the expert type of imposterism, it'd be the idea that the person is never satisfied with their level of understanding. They're often highly skilled and then tend to underrate their own expertise. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to ask you some more questions about that. (laughs) So the the next one, the natural genius. The natural genius. Yeah, this might be the one that we were talking about, the person who goes to uh, NAU the East. NAU the East, (laughs) otherwise known as Harvard. Yeah, also Harvard. 
Um, the natural genius will set excessively lofty goals for themselves and then feel bad when they don't succeed yeah. on the first try. Oof. And then they drift into a self-critical state. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that might be also a type of person, we'll get to this in a little bit, who might grow up in a family that always praised them mm-hmm. from being, being able to do things so yeah. easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. The last one's the soloist. Maybe the Enneagram 4s? Oh, yeah. I can yeah. see that for sure. Yeah. yeah. So highly individualistic, tend to work alone. And then they really derive their self-worth from productivity and then reject assistance. Yeah. It's the idea that like asking for help can be seen as a weakness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so five different types. The yeah. perfectionist, the superhero, the expert, the natural genius, and the soloist. And the soloist, yeah. Okay. And what, the thing, yeah. So, you know, I was thinking the thing with all the imposter syndrome is that yeah. like it doesn't come without its consequences, right? Like we can kind of talk about like this is the experience of yeah. it, but it does tend to have a pretty profound mental health effect. Yeah. So you're saying that there's these outcomes from behaving these ways. So if you recognize yourself in any of these subtypes or you recognize these patterns of either over prep or procrastination, mm-hmm. what are the, what are the consequences? What are the outcomes? Yeah, there's a, there's a handful, right? So the first one is just burnout, like <laughs> just burning it out. Yeah. 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 So the over prep type just invests everything. And then they're like, man, I can't consume any more of this topic or I'm over this thing. Totally. Just dysregulated energy is gone. Yeah, absolutely. The second one would be just a uh, anxiety, you know, constant yeah. worry and uh, like a sense of not being worth enough or feeling like uh, something bad might happen as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I don't keep working, this thing is going to go down the drain. Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Um, third one would just be depression. Yeah. yeah. I could see that in some of them where uh, this cycle for people would really lead, it could really match like a shame cycle or yeah. dip into really self-critical thinking patterns, right? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's kind of like a core component of it in a way, right, is that yeah. self-critical self-critical piece um yeah and some other things that we see with that are like decreased job performance and particularly job satisfaction yeah even though a person might be succeeding they might not feel yeah pleased with it yeah um and just like you were saying a second ago is that sense of guilt and shame yeah um and they might also see like withdrawal from relationships isolation kind of a disconnection from things that people might normally like yeah and then always drinking and drugging you know as always <laughs> the old drinking and drugging drinking and drugging so that could be a consequence of imposter syndrome as a person might find relief from those things that we were talking about yeah earlier. and by relief what you mean is actually a momentary escape from it right exactly. and so it's that that's if someone falls into that that's to get out of the cycle but actually the cycle returns yeah when they're sober exactly right? yeah yeah so okay. you'll see increased uh, patterns of substance use with imposterism okay yep and and so <laughs> let's say someone hypothetically finds themselves falling into some of these types or patterns. Yeah. What, how, how did it happen? What, what are the origins yeah. of imposter syndrome? Man, that's a good question here, Dan. That's a really good question. <laughs> yeah. Dunny. Dunny on the one. Um, so there's a few different things that tend to, I don't know if you see these as causes of imposter syndrome. Yeah. The first thing is just going to be family of origin. Okay. Um, and so kind of like the environmental quality of that, we'll go through that a little bit more, uh, societal norms is one of those things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, personality correlates. And then the fourth thing is, um, imposter syndrome as a function of systems and that the way systems have been organized kind of creates imposterism, particularly for people from marginalized groups. Okay. So family system, personality yeah. or broader systems. Yeah, there we okay. go. So with the family, there might be a couple of myths 
um, present. One might be that there's a person in a family who's seen as like the socially adept one. Like this is the person who's kind of like outgoing and really friendly and gets mm-hmm. along with everyone. Mm-hmm. And then they might be in close relationship to another person in the family who's seen as the intellectual one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the person who's socially adept might go to an environment where they're expected to be intellectual mm. and then feel like this is outside of what I'm normal, yeah. uh, normally yeah, used yeah, yeah. to or what I do. And the second thing that we talked about earlier is that idea that a person might come from a family where they're celebrated for being so bright. Never really had to work at anything before. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of like breeze through school, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is tough because like uh, I think about my own parenting and I think, man, I want to build my kids up. So I want to, yeah. you know, positively reinforce anything that I see. And then if you overdo that, it can then create pressure or the expectation that your uh, environment should always be responding to you that way. And when they're not, you're not good enough. Yeah, truly. Right. And so then that person who's so bright might go into the world. And if they don't receive that, that like positive feedback or something like that, then they might feel like, what am I doing here? So it's like a real balance. That's tough, man. Cause it's a hard world out there. I just want to build my kids up, you know? Yeah, no doubt. You know, the idea there would be celebrating mistakes Mm-hmm. also is to to um and then create challenge mm-hmm. like something that's just outside of that line yeah so still hold expectations mm-hmm. that require performance and then um celebrate mistakes um i also hear that it's good to um compliment uh them and not the outcome so not the achievement yeah. so yeah to say this thing facilitated you doing this yeah, yeah like the in- internal qualities yeah. yeah like the effort maybe or something like mm-hmm. that yeah okay so those might be a couple family components that contribute to how imposter syndrome unfolds. Okay. Um, there's also some societal norms. You know, one thing that I would highlight there is just the idea that we come from a society that really amplifies or values intelligence. Yeah. 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 And so um, that kind of creates pressure for yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and then just like you were saying a second ago, like with that is like successes and products are rewarded mm-hmm. opposed mm-hmm. to failures and efforts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those societal norms built in can produce a sensitivity to this. What about the personality correlates? Yeah, there's a handful here, right? So the first thing is that competence doubt is just the tendency to doubt one's abilities and fear failure, Mm -hmm. even when failure could be professionally enriching. Mm -hmm. And we talk about that a lot, right? Like Mm -hmm. how mistakes and setbacks can actually be really beneficial in the long haul. Mm -hmm. But there will be like an intense fear of experiencing that very thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a competence doubt, working style. Again, this kind of goes back to that cycle we were talking about. Tendency to procrastinate. Okay. <laughs> kind of that thing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's often a lot of fear associated with that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So doubting your competence or if you fall into procrastination, it's not, it's not helpful. It may, it may lead into an imposter syndrome. Yeah. What, what else? Alienation. Um, and we kind of talked about this on the self level is just this idea, this idea again, this really strong feeling of phoniness or isolating from self mm-hmm. kind of people will experience the disconnection from self. Mm-hmm. I would even go as far as saying like people will find themselves dissociated mm-hmm. in environments where they would like high expectation, want to perform that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, other self divergence is another one, which is perceiving others expectations of one's abilities as considerably inflated. And this is one that also can kind of go back to family of origin. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do my parents believe I should be able to do? Uh, yeah. That sort of thing. Okay. Uh, two more. One is ambition, which is the need to be successful or achieve something significant. Okay. Maybe that's Superman, Superwoman, super. So basing binary. your identity on achievement at times. Yeah. Really like setting really, really lofty goals. Mm-hmm. 
And then the last one, this kind of an interesting name is just the idea is the need for sympathy, which is really placing a high value of being liked by others, really wanting to be accepted or liked. Yeah. So trying to um, garner that acceptance by what you produce or whatever you can put out there. Yeah. Yeah. Wanting to be wanting to be liked for for that very thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then just to touch on real quick, you know, I read this article uh, was written by a woman named Dr. Raquel. Am I? Her name here is Dr. Raquel Meyer Wright, Mayer Wright, who's an assistant professor of higher education at Rowan University. And she spoke to the idea that we need to get away from looking at in, imposter syndrome as this individual flaw, mm-hmm. and that really that it's a problem of systems, mm. which I think is a, a pretty interesting point, right? Yeah. It's experienced individually, but she would say that particularly what we do see is higher rates of imposterism among people in minority categories. Yeah. And, and so... Defining majority and minority, it doesn't always mean by number. It can mean by power, yeah. right? Power dynamics in society. Yeah, and that's exactly what she speaks to. Yeah. Yeah, so um, race, sex, gender uh, will face greater sense of imposter syndrome yeah. in this particular society. Yeah. Particularly if people fit more than one of those categories, it just increases too. Wow. So it's something we should all be aware of, even if we're not individually experiencing it. Yeah, is that we might be contributing to a society that produces it for others. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. What is the homie? I noticed you got the homie Adam Grant, the homie on here. Yeah, man, this is fun. I might stumble through this a little bit, but this is this is fun. I really like Adam Grant, right? Oh, he's phenomenal. Yeah, he's just fun to listen to. like super bright here's yeah. celebrating his intellect right you think he's a five <laughs> just kidding <laughs> <laughs> trying to claim him he's too extroverted he is man <laughs> he's too bubbly he is yeah. he is what would he he's a head type for sure so six probably huh i i, I think he's kind of six-ish i tend to take yeah. credit for everyone for adam grant Dan Siegel, adam grant <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah that's he does seem to hang out in that headspace though so what does he have to say about it man so first he starts off with using this quote by darwin Mm-hmm. Which says ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge, <laughs> <laughs> which is such a great quote, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what he talks about with imposter syndrome is that really is it's this idea of your competence, so your ability in something yeah. actually exceeds your confidence to do that thing. Okay, you know this this reminds me of uh, the Dunning Kruger effect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, can I bring that up? Yeah, absolutely. Come yeah. on. So, uh, yeah, there was this study that showed uh, <laughs> this. I love this study, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. It's uh, where people with low skill often overestimate yes. their ability. Oh, I love that. And then yeah. uh, people with high skill under uh, often underestimate their ability. Yeah. So arrogance, essentially, like when there's a lot of arrogance about something, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's like a formula. It's like ignorance plus conviction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> equals arrogance. I love that. Which just is these people that just know everything about everything, right? Oh, yeah. He refers to it as the armchair quarterback, right? Yeah. Which just cracks me up because I've, um, going back to Cardinals, man, I swear I could coach that team better than Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> right? So, so yeah. yeah, the Dunning-Kruger effect, the right? Dunning-Kruger right effect. here yeah. in effect. Exactly. So I wanted to highlight that thing. If you ever find yourself yelling at the TV saying, I could coach this team or manage this team better, <laughs> you obviously cannot. I guarantee yeah. you that, right? Dunning-Kruger. And there's the Dunning-Kruger. And then we all kind of know what it's like to be around the person who's extremely knows everything, yeah. but doesn't know that thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's arrogant. And that's really frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. And so just like you're saying, um, people with high skill often underestimate their ability. Uh, and that scene is doubt. Yeah. So did Adam Grant reference studies in relation to this then? Or? He used this one study, which was great. I think it was one of his former students. And then uh, this person ended up going to MIT. Right? Okay. So again, one of these, one of these people. <laughs> MIT, MIT, any of the east, east, (laughs) further east, yeah, further northeast, yeah. Um, So this is a great study, right? Study a bunch of medical students who were preparing for their clinical rotations, and in this, they collected these people, and they used trained actors. Ah, I love studies when they bring in these trained actors. Oh man, how fun, huh? Yeah, I want to be a trained actor. Just fooling, fooling the participants. Yeah, totally. So they get these trained actors who are. you know, presenting with a variety of diseases uh-huh. and then uh, are observed for 30 minutes by the people preparing for their clinical rotations. Okay, okay. And then what they did was they tracked um, the people preparing for their clinical rotations. They tracked uh, how they treated patients in their bedside manner and then what diagnoses they came up with. Okay, okay. And about three weeks before that, they had done a pre-survey kind of looking at imposter types of thoughts. Okay. I, ideas like, I'm not as qualified as others. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or another question on that might be something like people important to me think I'm more capable than I think I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they kind of rate imposterism and then they watch these people perform their job. Okay. Yeah. So what they found, and this is I think really fun, right? Is the idea that people who rank themselves with less confidence ranked, uh, they, they were no different in making diagnoses. So they were equally as accurate and then ranked significantly higher in bedside manner, which included higher levels of empathy respect, professionalism, and they were more effective in asking questions and collaborating with others. Okay. So when you don't fall into the Dunning-Kruger effect, you're going to collaborate more, network more, and you're going to be more empathic and uh, relatable. That's, yeah, that's what uh, Adam Grant's saying here, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so he uses this great anecdote about this syndrome called Antone syndrome or something yeah. to highlight that people have blind spots. Yeah. And then he says with, you know, uh, imposter syndrome, people have blind spots. Yeah. So what he would say is that there are three and that what, uh, what imposter syndrome does is, does is one is it motivates people to work harder. And he says that's once something is started. And imposter okay. syndrome doesn't help people start a thing. Because it's overwhelming. Because it's overwhelming. Once they're in it, it, help, it helps them to motivate. Okay. Or, helps them to work harder okay so that's what i was getting at earlier with uh with your thesis right yeah once you got that thing going where you're working harder at it, oh yeah and I, every table i ever created for a paper after that spot on <laughs> it was just yeah. apa yeah. nice yeah. nice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> apa nice nice apa nice nice yeah so one is it motivates people to work harder the second is that it also motivates people to work smarter mm-hmm. and then the third thing is that it motivates people to become better learners yeah okay yeah um, so is there like a sweet spot to this? Cause these are benefits, right? And we've talked yeah. about those negative outcomes of like depression, anxiety, burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these things about being motivated to work harder, smarter, um, have uh, be, be better learners. Yeah. These are benefits, right? So then 
Yeah. Yeah. What's the sweet spot here? What's the mix? He says for us, what we want to do is hit the confident sweet spot, right? And so um, what we were kind of joking about earlier with arrogance is like no one wants to find themselves in that position. Yeah. We also don't want to find well, ourselves. <laughs> I listen to some people that feel <laughs> seem to be perfectly fine with being in that position. <laughs> They're conviction, totally ignorance plus conviction. Yeah. There are a few out there that I think are okay with that. They exist. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So anyways, you're saying most people don't want that. Most people might not want that, particularly in like work settings and that sort of thing. Okay. And some people might just, that's the way they go through the world. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Um, and then, yeah, he also talks about how we don't want to experience inferiority and we also don't want to experience debilitating doubt. So he uses this quadrant. Okay. And you could think of on the left side of the quadrant is belief in self. Okay. On the top side of the quadrant is belief in a person's tools. Okay. So like a four cube square. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then think of the squares on the left with belief in self as there's a secure belief in self. Okay. And then an insecure belief in uh, okay. self. Okay. And he just talks about that as essentially being like stable confidence or not. Okay. Um, and then with the belief in tools, there's a certainty in the tools that you're using. There's an uncertainty in the tools that you're using. Okay. So, so it's like in, a combination of either confidence in yourself or not mm-hmm. and confidence in what you're using or not. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so the thing that he talks about, if we go through these four squares, right, the first yeah. one on the on the top left would be obsessive inferiority. And that's when you have an insecure belief in yourself but are certain in your tools. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then the next thing, if we were to go over there, if you have an insecure belief in yourself and are uncertain in your tools, then you experience that debilitating yeah. doubt. Yeah, nothing's working. Like just a six and there's six, <laughs> six and it up all six days of the week. <laughs> Resting on the Sabbath. Oh, man, I'd love to see you in that state. (laughs) Yeah, so if you feel really good about your tools, not good about yourself, you feel inferior. Feel really bad about your tools and bad about yourself, you're feeling really doubtful. Okay. And then if you are feeling secure in yourself and you have a belief in your tools, what does that look like? This is where you just get that blind arrogance. Okay. Yeah, just like I know everything. Everything is certain. Um, Every Enneagram ever on TikTok. I'm bringing it. <laughs> Not just kidding. Throwing it down, man. I'm bringing it to no, And then you immediately yeah. redact it as your six. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding, guys. Come on. We're all friends. <laughs> We're all friends. <laughs> maybe yeah. like that eight on Instagram. Yeah. Maybe like so this that. This is a blind arrogance. Confidence yeah. in yourself, confidence in your tools. Yeah. Everything is secure, stable. Everything's good. And then the thing that Adam Grant says, the area for growth, right, is to feel secure in your belief in self but also feel uncertain in your tools. Okay. And what that results in is a confident humility. Okay. It's like the idea of the being willing to know and learn more. Yeah. And and so there's always room for growth in this area where in terms of belief in your tools, you know that there's always more either knowledge to be had or more refinement to what you're using or what your environment is providing. And when you do that, you'll be open to learning but also have somewhat of a confidence in your ability. Yeah. The, the more you know, the more you realize you, how much you don't know. I don't know. Right? Yeah. yeah. yeah wow. exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that, that represents that confident humility thing. Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> so let's say that, yeah. that you as an individual find yourself experiencing some of these things that we've talked about today. Yeah. What do you do? How do you remedy that? Man, this is this is the fun stuff here, right? Working with imposter syndrome. You know, the first thing is just understand that this idea exists on a spectrum, right? So yeah. like um, it's not categorical. It's not like I have imposter syndrome or I don't. Yeah. And that in any situation, a person might feel some degree or some yeah. sense of imposterism. Yeah. So some people 
it, I mean, it's context of life, right? Yeah, so yeah. I can feel I have imposter syndrome in this area of my life. And uh, yeah, I don't experience it um, exhaustively and comprehensively in all aspects of my life. Right. Yeah, okay. exactly. So I think having that awareness is important. Yeah. The first thing, you know, um, Pauline Clance, right? She she made an imposter syndrome test. It's called the, uh, called the KIPS or the SIPS. Uh, Clance Imposter Phenomenon Scale. All right. Yeah, you can go find that online. Shout there's out Dr. Clance. Yeah, shout out Dr. Clance. Yeah, you, so we'll link that. So there's a, a, a like an assessment you can take. Yeah, there's an assessment you can take, which could just bring a little bit of awareness to mm-hmm. your experience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The next thing for me is I, I go kind of mindfulness with this, right? It's just the idea to own it. Mm-hmm. Um, we can resist the idea of feeling like an imposter. Mm-hmm. And that just creates more tension. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to just acknowledge like, oh, there's that imposter mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. happening again. Mm-hmm. That thing is here with me today. Mm-hmm. Um, so not to fight it. Okay. Uh, growing positivity is another thing that we can do. How do you do that? <laughs> oh, man. So one thing is just acknowledging and letting go of unhelpful thoughts. Yeah. And then intentionally building positive emotions. So joy, gratitude, hope. Um, that can be done through visualization that can be done through things that you normally enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then again, taking a mindful approach to it, mm-hmm. not judging that thing, just mm-hmm. like, let's do this thing because I enjoy this. Mm-hmm. It could be, uh, recalling, uh, memories that, that feel good or feel positive, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and then also, you know, with that is becoming aware of your life's narrative. It's like, there might be like an imposter narrative that's been built into how we view the world mm-hmm. and then just practice like acknowledging that when it shows up again, okay. there's that narrative. With that, there's really like um, an area for growing trust in yourself too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like if you could objectively look at my life mm-hmm. and the achievements and the things I've accomplished, mm-hmm. can I trust that I can use that or just know that that's good enough? As I go through this thing, I'll most likely show up in that same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another is a pr- applying a growth mindset. Um, this is something that you talk about a lot. I think you speak to this really well. It's just the idea of process, mm-hmm. right? Like just mm-hmm. understand that we're in process. Mm-hmm. There's not a product with mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is in opposition to a fixed mindset, right? Where you just think that the outcomes are what they are um, and things are categorical. Yeah. But yeah. So if you if you realize like a bump in the road, like um, uh, what it, there's, there's uh, I'm going to forget it right now, but there's a term in um, lean technology, which is like an engineering standard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like learning opportunities or an opportunity for growth or something like that. Mm-hmm. So like uh, we did a, me and my family, some, some members of my family did a mountain bike race a couple of years back. And my nephew was like on a hot lap, like setting, setting a record for the family <laughs> for, for the lap record and then got a flat tire. Oh, and my brother, yeah. uh, his uncle, his other uncle, you know, was telling him what a good learning opportunity that was. <laughs> right. The first thing you want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it's like always realizing there's growth available. Absolutely. Yeah, next one could just also be in uh, working with imposter syndrome is visualizing and um, practicing Mm -hmm, mm self-compassion. Identifying strengths, showing appreciation for your own strengths, visualizing success, and allowing yourself to be okay with Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. Which is kind of that part of imposter syndrome where it's like that positive feedback then Mm -hmm. results in this discounting positive feedback Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is allowing for yourself to experience that positive feedback and not have to do anything with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And any more? I mean, that kind of ties in the last one is just accepting compliments. Yeah. yeah. Being okay with that. Good job on uh, presenting all this stuff, Cody. Thanks, Dan. I got lucky, man. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. There we go. You so, know, if I looking through this outline and yeah. all the depth of material here, I can't help but feel like uh, you may have overprepped. I feel like I did. That's for sure. You know, is this imposter syndrome? <laughs> is this thing happening right now? Yeah. Man, you know, to be honest, with um, I just went down a rabbit hole with this stuff. Yeah. Man, there was so much material. Again, from the internet, it was fun to like read into this stuff a little bit. Yeah. And the thing that I would highlight before we hang it up, you know, would just be that idea that Adam Grant's thing is like, if imposter syndrome showing up, you're probably doing pretty well mm-hmm. and you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of just remembering, right? Ignorance more frequently begets confidence than does knowledge. Yeah. What a great place to end, right? Like, so we don't want to uh, just pile on and say imposter syndrome is this entirely negative thing. Right that it is actually just a thing that occurs and there are things that are potential benefits or detriments that come from it. And if the detriments are overwhelming the benefits, then there may be some course correcting needed uh, just to benefit your own well-being in life. Yeah. But it's not inherently a, a terrible thing. It's not inherently a terrible thing. You're probably doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. No doubt, Dan. That was a good time, huh? Yeah. Why don't you take us out by shouting us out? No doubt. You can always find us on the interwebs at beyondflag.com. Flag spelled. F-L-G. And the same with the inter, 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 intergrams. <laughs> the tickgrams and the instatalks. Um, Twitters, beyond underscore flag. Yeah. Yeah. Go there for a lot of quality content. Once every twice, once every two weeks. On IG. <laughs> on on IG. Twitter, maybe once every two months. Once every two months or two years. Don't miss it. Blammo. That just, that just means the quality is higher, so you don't want to miss out. That's important to us. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyhow, take care. Uh, love you.